Three, Ahoy. two, uh, one. We're live. Oh. <laughs> Ahoy, fans. Our guest today is the amazing Tom Egan, a handsome fellow who can do many tricks with his hands. That sounds absolutely pornographic. Among them, build violins and boats, you know, out of wood. I'm Robin McKay in Los Angeles. And I'm Allison McKay in New York City. This This is The Ledge. Tom was originally one of Allison's finds when she was prowling the streets of Silver Lake. Do tell, Alec. Well, I met Tom and his lovely wife, Trudy, when I rented the house next door a couple of years ago. And uh, you know what? It was on the... It used to be the back lot of the old Disney studios, cute little houses of, I don't know, maybe one for makeup, one for costumes, who knows. And he lives there with Hector, his beautiful dog, and my favorite OC, Orange Cat. Well, we're pleased to have on our hands the redoubtable Tom Egan. Hello, Tom. Good afternoon, ladies. All right, so I have various questions about boat making and violin making, but I'm going to start with the most random. Tom, what is an arc? Does anyone have an arc anymore? An arc? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a designer, you probably use arc rather than radius, depending on what you're doing. But No, uh, I I mean the Bible arc. No, that's all a lovely story. (laughs) I don't think that anybody could actually have built that size of a vessel at that time. Well, why did they call it Ark? Does anybody have any idea what it's supposed to be? Just something gigantic? This, I don't know whether it was the Ark of the Covenant. A kind of oil barrel that something secret was in. It was was the containment of the covenant between God and the Hebrews. Well, we're far afield from my knowledge now. Let's go back to boats. Well, okay. What is the largest boat you've built? 30 feet. In your patio there, when you go out there, there's an upside down boat. It's like walking into an Episcopal church. That's a nine foot tender or dinghy, if you will. I and see a dinghy. So that, it's just, it's a small one. It's nine feet. Oh, um, so big when you're underneath it, like maybe it might fall on you. I've had dates like that. Okay. Tom, how did churches get modeled on boats? Now she mentions it. My favorite Belfast preacher said he saw the boats on the waterfront being built and took Uh, it as a sign from God, maybe that he didn't want to build ships, but he ended up being a preacher because of that. What is the connection there? Well, that's an interesting question because there are certain designs that work, whether they're used in boat building or in architecture. Like if you look at the flying buttresses of the classic cathedrals in Europe, mm-hmm. there's certain forms of curvature they use to support these things. They were arrived at through trial and error. I don't think they were engineered. They might have been. Uh, that would be an interesting subject. But when you look at them, they look correct. I read this one article many, many years ago about boat building and design and, and Essentially, the author said, if it looks correct, it probably is correct. Mm. So it was referring to an intuitive level of design that you may or may not have. But back in the days when people were using slide rules and doing engineering, they did fantastic engineering with these things. But the engineers, they would say, you get a feeling for the design. Mm. Mm. You become intuitively involved with 
So they don't have a pattern like a ball gown or something? Uh, no, no. Naval architecture is extremely complex. And mm-hmm. the good naval architects, it's like, okay, here it is. And it's really a freeform thing. Here's a similarly abstruse question then. Do you have to be a sailor before you can build a boat? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens no. My, but you're my, a sailor, aren't you? Yeah, I am. But everybody who designs boats or sails boats or builds boats does time on the water. But it's not necessary. I have, I can look up at my bookshelf and I can see... So they're not a registered sailor, in other words. No, that's another thing that's intuitive also. Uh-huh. You can have all the technical training and try to assume that into what you're doing, but... At one point in time, especially in yacht designing or sailboat designing, it becomes an intuitive question. But why do people say that boats are, are money pits? Because they are. <laughs> no, <laughs> you have, they require maintenance. They require... Boats have always been expensive, whether you're a Viking or sailing a World War One dreadnought. They've always been expensive. A Anything dreadnought? The, a dreadnought. Okay, I'm going to get more specific. Can you, Tom, can you build a canoe or a raft? And if you were stranded on a desert island, how would you build your way off of it? Well, I would figure out what materials I had and what I could do and um, go to work. Have you ever built a raft? I have never done that. Have you ever Uh, built a canoe? I have not, but I want to. How about a kayak? A kayak, yes. You have? Yeah, I built a Greenland kayak, which is a skin-on frame. Wow. And which are beautiful things. What's the best boat? The boat that somebody else's owns and you can go sailing on. That is the best boat, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. So, Tom, do you do any sailor talk? Or singing? Sea chanty and sea chanties and all that? No. I I don't know. Wait, (laughs) there was so much fun. It sounded like it was. (laughs) I don't do the pirate talk thing. Now that we're in between the boats and the violins. Uh huh. That seems like an unusual combination in some ways, but tell us your journey. How did you get to, do you have violin or boat makers in your family? How did you get to? Oh, heavens, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do tell. No, 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 no. I I am the... the, uh, Black sheep? Well, the wandering son. I've always loved boats. I got very involved with playing violin. And at one point in my career, when I decided retire from the oil industry, I said, what am I going to do? And mm-hmm. I said, well, maybe I'll become a violin maker. <laughs> because but, I love the violin, and it's very challenging to make a violin. But it's, the part that you didn't mention is that you retired from your oil career when you were like 20 or something. I was, let me see, how old was I? I was in my mid-20s. That's not yeah. the usual retirement age, so I think... No, but it was like, because of the fact that I did not have a degree. I was very limited in what I could do in the corporation. Okay, wait, when you say the oil industry, were you pumping gas? No, I was working at Prudhoe Bay. Where's that? Prudhoe Bay is in North Alaska, Alaska. on the the Arctic Ocean, and we're pumping 1.5 million barrels of oil a day. Are you from Alaska? No. no. So how'd you get there? That's a very complex question. (laughs) (laughs) And... It involved a girlfriend. But where did you come from? I'm from Bennington, Vermont. Wow. Okay. I spent the early part of my life there in Bennington, and then we moved to Massachusetts and eventually Connecticut, but I'm a New England boy. 
I went to college for a year and dropped out and went to Europe. Hmm. This sounds like a romantic, exciting life. With well, or without the girlfriend? Oh, her, no. That, that's. <laughs> but, uh, I was a mountaineer at the time. That's why I, I see. But I did a lot of mountaineering when I was younger, and I, I retired. Mm-hmm. Younger I than 20. Younger oh, than yeah, 20 well, is what. Well, younger than 20, I up into my 20s, and I retired. So I, <laughs> because I didn't want to die. <laughs> like, Got it. So All right, my so friends did. You started in New England. You went uh-huh. to Alaska for no appreciable reason that we can tell. You got tired of your career on the oil rig because you didn't want to die at 20 or so. You and became then, a professional retiree. That's good. <laughs> Everyone wants to be that. All right. So then what happened? Well, I became a violin maker. I went to violin making school. and met my Whoa, whoa. Wife. There's a wow. school? Yes. There's a, where is that? That's in Salt Lake City. In America, there's a school for violin making? In America. At one time, it was considered the best violin making school in the world. Wow. A very good friend of mine is the director now. Okay, wait a minute. How did you get into the most rarefied violin making school in the world with a resume that said I worked on an oil rig? I'm good at what I do. Uh, Wow. How do you find old wood to put in the violin? Actually, you don't want really old wood. You want wood that's about three or four years old. I thought yeah. they said aged wood. You was... want the wood to be dimensionally stable when you work on it. And that oh. takes it takes three to four years. Most Stradivari violins, the wood was approximately in that age. And they've done dendrochronology now that they can do. And, they had what? Uh, dendrochronology, which is dating a piece of wood by the rings. I've oh. dated some wood that had no room. Oh, I bet you have. <laughs> All right. All right. So we've gotten you as far as violin school in. Where'd you say? Utah? Yeah. Salt Lake City. So for violin school, are you qualified to build violas and cellos or is that a totally yeah. different union? Yeah. Violins, violas, cellos. Basically, if you're a luthier or a luther, you build stringed instruments. Okay, now is the string part part of the building or is that a different guild? You mean the making of strings? The stringing or? of the violin. Oh, no, well, you, you, no you, you buy strings and you put them on the violin. and oh. You do that. And there's endless variation of the strings you can put on violins. When you make the violin, then you string it as well. And that's part of the well, completed yeah. instrument. Well, you, you make it, you varnish it, you string it, you play is it. Is there glue? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. There's glue in the violin? Well, yeah. There is, well, uh, how do you is, think it's hold it together? I don't know. Is there glue in boats? In modern construction of boats and wooden boats, yeah. There's always usually epoxy. And, of course, there's fiberglass boats, which is a different subject altogether. But what we're doing here with violins or boats is we're creating functional sculpture. What's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? Well, the fiddle you play fiddle music on and the violin you play violin music on. There's no difference. There's no difference. Wow. Maybe the bridge might be curved a little differently, but at one point in time, it was a synonymous thing. And many of the great violinists referred to their instruments as fiddles, but Mm -hmm. it became kind of started transforming in the 30s and the 40s when a lot of country players were getting documented by the smithsonian and i'm a field player okay you know to say like i'm not one of these highbrow guys yeah most of the country people play fiddles you know yeah 
but it's the same instrument. Okay, so you told us that you don't have to be a sailor to build a boat. Do you have to be a violinist to build a violin? You don't, but it helps. You play violin. I used to play quite seriously. I haven't really played for quite a few years. You have to practice two, three hours a day to actually play. It's very time consuming. And if you decide to become a violin maker, you're probably not going to be a violin player. It's hmm. difficult to do both. Are all violins made by hand? No, uh, not at all. Many of them are. I mean, today it's like with CNC machining and all that, they're kind of machine made, some of them. But the thing is that when it comes down to the final assessment, here again, it comes to an intuitive analysis of the materials and you flex the top and the back. And you go like, I'm going to take a little more wood out. I'm going to leave it exactly like it is. Mm-hmm. And then you put it together and then you varnish it and then you play it. So, okay. We have a friend that makes guitars. Is, is that any very much different? Actually, you're going after a lot of the same things. Guitars are not as complicated because unless you're making archtop guitars, yeah. usually the, the back and the, and the top are flat. So that... Is not as complicated. They as get a violin. Yeah, yeah, as a violin. Most guitar players get into the complexities of bracing and bracing systems. And there's a lot of rat holes you can go down. Guys who make great guitars make great guitars. Guys who make great violins make great violins. Can they actually tell you how they do it? Not nope. really. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> so it's like you magicians. Know? They're operating at a very intuitive level. And it's the same thing with boat design. You can have the best software in the world and do it by a computer and still design crappy boats. Wow. There are people who make ball gowns who say the same thing. It's an art. I studied with one naval architect and he does it all by hand and his designs are beautiful and they work. Does someone commission these boats that he makes, and how long does it take oh, to make one? Well, yeah, sometimes. He also has catalog of stock designs. You want this? Well, it's $250 for the prince to build this or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's a very, a very, very, very nice man, and it was very interesting to study with him. If you're totally dependent on computers and software, I don't think that you're going to arrive at a high level of artistry. Now, these boats, don't they make boats now out of fiberglass and every oh, other kind? Oh, yeah, fiberglass, metal, and everything. But you make the wooden ones. Yeah, it's just because I like working with wood. If I had a big yard somewhere, I'd probably make metal boats too. But as far as that's concerned, a lot of people get emotionally involved with one material or the other. I don't really care. What I want is the end result. Do you make any sketches toward well, that end? Usually what you do, if, if you're going to design a boat, you kind of like sketch it out. You go like, okay, this and that. And what is this intended for? Because every boat's a compromise. It's like relationships. And then you start drawing it out. And you see how everything is going to fall together. And it's an interesting process. How many celebrities or violinists have you sold violins to? Probably a dozen or so. My work's been played in Carnegie Hall, if that means anything. Really? That's great. We've heard of it, yes. Yeah. Well, no, but I know you sold one violin to Russell Crowe. Would you like to expound upon that? Oh, I think I'm going (laughs) to leave Russell Crowe alone. (laughs) 
in all his glory. He, it was an interesting experience. I've also sold bows and instruments to people in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And ultimately, this may sound harsh or whatever, but once, once I make something, when somebody buys it from me and they go off and play it, I'm divorced from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, emotionally, I'm divorced from it. It's mm -hmm. like, go and do what you want to do with it. You know, mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully I have contributed in some way to the cultural heritage of the world. So you mentioned bows. So a bow then is part of the instrument. I didn't, oh, yeah. I thought, ah, see, I just thought you made the actual violin part. Yeah, I, so I, the bow I'm goes with it. I'm actually better known as a bow maker. Mm -hmm. And I've made bows for people who have played them on some of the major concert stages in the world, which is interesting because my method of bow making is derived from making fly rods, <laughs> which may sound bizarre. But the it's a sailor thing. And, no, it's like it's like classic fly rods are made out of bamboo, and they're very concerned about the tapers. Yeah, and they design tapers, and so I I started doing investigations and started measuring things and looking at them and grafting them out and seeing, oh, well, <laughs> gee, look at that, you know. And so I, I can do bow. that. <laughs> well, I make a bow like that, and wow, people, go, oh my god, this is so great. You know? Well, now I think about it, it seems like you see those guys getting on the plane with their violin cases, and it doesn't seem like there's any room in there for the bow. So where does the bow go? No, the, there, there's room in there for the bow. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How come you craft the bow in the violin, but it's a bow of a ship? <laughs> Judy wants to know that. The, the bow of the ship? Yeah. You mean like, like the stem and the, the yeah. design? Yeah, well... There's the clipper ships down. There's there's a lot, but it's that's an aesthetic thing mostly. But it also has to do with the whole design. Do you so make those carved naked ladies that hang on the front of the boat? No, I don't. <laughs> I can't believe it. It seems like a natural. <laughs> Trudy would throw him right out. No, no but come wouldn't. on. I'll bet he'd be good at that. Uh, I bet he would. No, I mean, I really, I'm not interested in that, but you know, some people are, and that's great. <laughs> What's your favorite sailor story? My favorite sailor story. What was that? Most of them say Moby Dick, I guess. Well, uh, Moby Dick is a very interesting book. It works on three different levels. I've read it five times. But um, the most interesting sailing book would probably be Tristan Jones. Tristan Jones was not exactly completely truthful in his writing, but why let facts interrupt a good story? <laughs> he tried to sail to the most northern point in the northern hemisphere, and he did it in a converted lifeboat that he converted into a sailing vessel, and he did it with his dog. Oh, and, that's cool. Yeah, and he loved him or hate him, but he did a lot of things. He sailed. He didn't need his dog, did he? When you said love him or oh, hate no, him. Oh, no, no, no. All right, no, okay. No, 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 <laughs> I got no. nervous. Yeah, he sailed in the lowest point in the world which was the Dead Sea, and he sailed in the highest point, navigable, which is Lake Titicaca. He was a great storyteller, and he was British, out of the British Navy. If you want sea sagas, read his books and enjoy them. And well, I'm going to recommend that to all our listeners. Also, Tom, what is your favorite violin piece or virtuoso? My favorite virtuoso is Sergio Luca, mm -hmm. and 
My favorite violin pieces are all of the Bach parties and sonatas that he played. Well, ahoy, Tom. Thank you for pointing your bow. No, thank you for pointing your bow in our direction. You're most welcome. It has been an inspirational journey and running your bow over our ivories. Now that's wrong. Can I ask you ladies a question? Yes. Uh, Who is your favorite interviewer? Our favorite interviewer. Boy, you know, he just retired. I thought Brian Williams was pretty great. Excellent. He just retired yesterday and I stayed up late to hear his swan song interviews. Uh Uh-huh. Stud Sterkle. Have you ever listened to Stud Sterkle? He was mostly like sports though, wasn't he? Uh, No, he did everything. Oh, he did? He really did, yeah. And out of Chicago... And the other one would be Dick Cavett. Oh, Dick Cavett was Dick great. Cavett yeah. was he great, was so yeah. dry and wry. Yeah, yeah, he was very good. Johnny Carson was no slouch. He was. He listened. No. Yeah, the key no. is to listen, I think. Well, anyway, I, I'm sure we would, Allison and I would most definitely, most like to be stranded on a desert island with you and your excellent cat. Wow. And uh, <laughs> Now, Judy, before she ran screaming out the back, left this question. And I'll do Judy here. Tom, this article I read says a step in violin crafting is thickness the back. As a grammarian, I am disturbed by the transformation of the noun thickness into a verb, especially on a reputable website. How can this happen? It's like when party became a verb in the hands of feckless fraternity rats. Please tell me this was a misprint. Well, not being a feckless fraternity rat myself, although I've thought about it. No, we're just talking about the dimensional thickness of the wood in the back. I don't think it has any sexual connotations in the violin-making world, but heavens knows. (laughs) I think Judy was just wondering how it became a verb. Bye-bye.